We've all been hurt. We all have scars. And through a relationship with Jesus Christ, we can all overcome and we can all be healed. Welcome to Healing Scars with Pastor Burton. Well, welcome back to the sanctuary, everybody. It is time to jump in the Word again. And we're going to go back into our study of Jonah this week. And we're going to see where his mission takes him and the response. Now, if you recall, uh, previously we had just finished chapter 2. So we're going to pick right back up where we left off by going into Jonah chapter 3. And, of course, we're going to start off with verse 1. Now, you're going to find that both chapters 3 and 4 are rather short. Yet, just like every book in the Bible, they're both filled with a lot of great things. They have a lot to teach us and a lot to guide us with. Alright, so um, jumping straight into it this week. Uh, Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, the Bible says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Now, as you recall, God had already told Jonah what to do. He said, hey, this is your mission. Go do it. And instead of doing it, he ran. However, you know, our God, being who he is, he's, he's a loving, merciful, and gracious God who gives us second chances to do things right. And we see just that with Jonah. Now, remember, We've all fallen short of the glory of God, every single one of us. And for many, you know, entirely too many, really, use it as an excuse to keep doing what they've been doing. You talk to people who have stopped going to services, for example, um, you know, or Bible studies and so on, you know, uh, but they stop connecting with the church and you, you ask them about it and they'll say that they need to get right first, that they need to stop drinking or using drugs or committing adultery and so on and so forth, whatever their excuse is. And they're 100% wrong. Whatever the excuse is that they're using, it is 100% wrong. Everything that came out of their mouth is incorrect. See, in the church with other believers, like we're gathering now even, you know, that's exactly where you need to be. When we come together as the church, you know, it's not a hotel for the worthy. This isn't a luxury suite. This is a spiritual hospital, a spiritual emergency room where the Father can heal us. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, the Bible says, From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. As each part does its work. So you can see that we need to be together in worship with the Father in order to heal. Remember, the church is the people, the fellow believers, the brothers and sisters in Christ coming together in His name, not the building. The church is anywhere and everywhere we gather together. Without the people, the church is just a building. All right, Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, the Bible says, For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So it is the people. 
look, now, I get it. You may feel that you're undeserving. You may feel that you're uh, disqualified, you know, because of things that you've done um, in the past or things that you're doing right now even. But that is exactly why Jesus died on the cross. He died for all of our shortcomings, for all of our transgressions, for every single mistake and every single misstep that we have ever taken and that we will ever take. Not a single person is worthy of that gift. Not one of us. Yet that is how much God loves you, me, all of us. How much he loves all of us. You keep that in mind. That's a good thing to write down. See, you don't have to earn a spot to come to him. You just have to come to him and listen to what he says. Listen to the things he tells us because he still wants us to carry out his work. He still has things for us to do. Now let's look at Jonah uh, 3, verse 3. The Bible says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. This is important, okay? Notice it took him three days. Not one, not two, but three to get through it. All right? Now, keep in mind, transportation in those days, for the most part, meant you were walking. You know, in, in the Marine Corps, we'd uh, occasionally refer to our boots as Cadillacs, uh, meaning that you had no other means of transportation, so it was time to put those pretty boots to work and start marching. You know, so there's a couple things here. You know, when the Bible talks about Nineveh, it only says it was a large city. Let's put that into perspective. Now, the population at that time was approximately 175,000 people. Now, for that day, that was huge. Huge. By today's standards, that would still be considered a small city. I've lived in smaller towns. I'm sure many of you have as well. What is not taken into account is the size by distance. So we break this down a couple ways. The, the city proper, if you would. So wall to wall, the boundaries of the city limits. Uh, it was roughly about eight miles. Now you cram all those people into it and you can see how crowded it becomes. People are packed in like sardines. You know, they're living on top of each other. However, if you were to take a look at it, you know, basically back that, that view out just a little bit and look at it from the perspective of the administrative district or depending on where you live, you might look at it as like a county or a prefecture. Um, and at that distance, it was between 30 to 60 miles across. So a little bit bigger. But that's still a lot of people in a small, small area. You know, so that changes things a bit. In either case, it's very easy to see why it took Jonah three days 
to go through it all and complete his task. I mean, that's it's a lot of territory to go out and preach in. And that's exactly what he was doing. He was going through area by area and preaching to those who could hear him. So continuing on in Jonah chapter 3, um, we're going to look at verses 4 through 9 now. So Jonah 3, verses 4 through 9, and the Bible says, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger, so that we will not perish. So this entire section is such a great reminder, and it's an example that God's word is for everyone. No, no doubt, by this point you've noticed that that's really the underlying theme throughout this entire book, every chapter. You know, and when I say everyone, I mean everyone. It doesn't matter where you've been or where you are in life right now. The, the word of God is for you. It's for me. It's for all of us. It's for everyone. And, and we see that, we see here that Jonah, he's finally, he's gone out and he's fully engaged in the mission that God sent him on. You know, he's, he's walked the city and preached to everyone who could hear him. And it worked from the people on the street to the king of Nineveh himself. Everyone heard the word and was humbled. They repented. They repented. And it's never too late to repent and to change your ways. You don't need to wait for anything. You can do it right now. Right now. Pray to the Father for forgiveness and change your ways. He'll hear you. He'll see you. And he'll forgive you. The Ninevites were absolutely evil, vile, warring people. Yet, they heard God's message loud and clear. And they knew that God had had enough and it was time to make a change. They repented immediately. They didn't wait. They did it right there and then. Now, I want you to think about the lives that would change 
if you, if we all, stopped holding back and started sharing the word at every chance we had. And, and, and we skip out on a lot of those. We all know people who need to hear it. Yet, most professing Christians don't do it. They just don't. I mean, think about it. All the people that you know and that I know, I mean, we, I, it doesn't take much to think about it. Like, wow, how many missed opportunities did we skip over or why did we do it? Now, there was a, a piece, there's some research that was published back in January of 2022. And it showed that a mere 29% of unbelievers had ever had a Christian talk to them about becoming a Christian. Only 33% have had someone talk to them about the benefits of participating in a church. And 35% have even, you know, have had someone talk to them about the benefits of actually being a Christian. Not just becoming, but actually, you know, uh, um, but, you know, like how to become, but the benefits of actually being Christian. You know, church, this is our, our mission. This is part of the Great Commission. We are failing our mission today. The Great Commission given by Jesus tells us to go and make disciples and to baptize them. Yet, here we are. And we see Jonah going out into a hostile place. Make no, There's no doubt about it. Make no qualms. It was a very hostile place for him. Yet he went and he preached. He was a street preacher. All right? He was evangelizing right there on the middle of the, in, the, in the middle of the road. And what happened next? Absolutely amazing. From the lowest person to the highest person, the king, the highest official of the land, the end-all be-all at that point for those people, Put, he himself put on sackcloth and sat in the dirt. So he set an example through action and by royal decree for the people. And, you know, because he told them, everyone, even the animals, needs to fast, put on sackcloth, pray, and repent. Now, we're going to pause here for a second because I've mentioned this a couple times and I know that there's a couple people out there wondering exactly what sackcloth is. So we're, we're going to take just a moment to talk about this and, and why it was singled out. All right. So it comes from the Hebrew word sack, S-A-K. And it was a coarse fabric that was made from goat hair. So similar to burlap cloth, only heavier and more uncomfortable. It, it was really rough. Uh, and, and as you can imagine, it was a downright itchy garment. So it was really uncomfortable in the first place. Um, really, uh, is probably even downright painful to wear. Uh, you know, and it was meant to be because it served as a reminder of people's sin and it, you know, and their need for God and his forgiveness in their lives. People would wear it during times of grief, times of mourning, you know, and times of repentance. You know, there, there, it was a, a 
physical show, um, an outward or a public showing that they were grieving or that they were repenting. Uh, you know, it, it was a really big sign of change that, you know, in, in someone's life, you know, and that it was needed and that, that, that they were dealing with some really hard issues. Okay, so that's that's what it was and that's what it was used for. Okay, so let's finish this chapter and join me here in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. The Bible says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. God saw them. Not only did he see them, he heard them. And he forgave them. This group of pagan people, even their animals, responded to the message God sent them through Jonah. When Israel was still being stubborn, not sharing the word, not repenting, the Ninevites only needed to hear it one time. One time! And that is all it needed to make a change. These evil, wicked, cruel, warring, and boastful people got the message loud and clear. It was crystal clear to all of them. And they immediately repented of their wickedness. So God kept his promise. Now, sure, you might be thinking to yourself, wait, what promise? We didn't read about a promise right here. If you go back to Jeremiah, chapter 18, verses 7 through 8, the Bible says, If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. That's the promise. And just as God forgave Jonah, he was true to his word, and he forgave the Ninevites, pagans who didn't even know of this promise. They had no idea. You see, people hear the word judgment, and they automatically think of a courtroom or a court of condemnation. Courts never bring a good feeling. Unless, of course, you're watching Night Court. You know, that's just a fun show. Um, however, God's judgment, it's not about revenge. Okay, it's not necessarily about punishment. What it is about is compassion for those who seek Him. So, those who turn their back, that's a different story. But when it comes down to those who are seeking Him, it's all about compassion. And in those cases, it's used as a tool for teaching and correction. And we know this because the Bible tells us as much in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. So in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, uh, the Bible says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
So we need to remember, God doesn't want anyone to suffer and die or be condemned to hell. What he wants is for the very best for each and every one of us. Yet it's on us to listen to what he's saying. As much as we like to think that just listening to his word is enough, it's really not. You know, listening and hearing are two different things. Because when we hear the word, we understand that we need to be obedient and respond to it. To actually do what we're being told. And that response and that action, that or that reaction to it, I should say, when we start doing the things that the Father wants us to, that is what is actually pleasing to the Lord. Now, we've seen what happened when Jonah proceeded on mission and engaged with the enemy. Right? It's safe to say, as far as that part came with going and preaching to the Ninevites, mission accomplished. He got it done. However, we're not done yet. We're going to continue on now into chapter 4. And we're going to see what this book still has in store for us. Now, we're going to go right to the very beginning, just like we always do. Jonah, chapter 4. <coughs> Excuse me. And we're going to start with verses 1 through 2. So Jonah 4, verses 1 through 2, the Bible says, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That this, I'm sorry, that um, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Despite how far Jonah had come and the mercy he was so grateful to have had in his own life, he was still blinded by his hate and his contempt for the Ninevites. The whole reason for his attempt to run from this mission was because he didn't want them to be forgiven. He wanted them to be dead, wiped from the face of the earth. Jonah didn't believe for a second that they deserved God's love and mercy. Instead, he looked at it from a very nationalistic viewpoint. See, he didn't understand that God wasn't just the God of Israel, but the God of the entire world. We see this even today. And think about it. We all get caught up in our own views of things. And it's not just as individuals. We do it as nations as well. Uh, you look, just look at some of the music. God bless America. God save the queen or the king. And so on and so forth. Everyone has their hand in the cookie jar when it comes to these kinds of things. But God isn't just looking at one country. He wants everyone to be saved. Jesus died so that we could all belong to one kingdom. God's kingdom. God's kingdom. When we see someone turn to God, we need to be grateful and celebrate that with them. 
not be upset because they're not being punished the way we want them to. We should be celebrating it. It's a part of our own spiritual maturity. We need to be we need to learn to be thankful when anyone turns and comes to God. And we need to forgive just like we've been forgiven. Continuing on in Jonah uh, chapter 4 verses 3 through 4. The Bible says, Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? So, Jonah had finally done what he was told to, but he didn't like the outcome. You know, and, and really, you know, for one, the big point, big thing for him at this point, he's embarrassed. He just went and told this entire city that it's about to go down. They're about to get just wiped out. But instead of destruction, they're renewed in God and standing tall. So now he's thinking, man, I look like a liar. You know, and the son, he probably does. However, what's more important is the fact that he brought glory to God. All these people are saved because they repented and turned to God. But he's not seeing that. Instead, he's acting like a child. Oh, it's not fair. This isn't right. Woe is me. Just kill me already. Does this sound familiar? Because it happens all the times. And, and, and let me tell you, life... Life isn't fair. Life isn't going to be fair. That's why cancel culture is so popular right now. It's a bunch of whiny people that haven't learned that life isn't fair and you're not always going to get what you want. So they're lashing out and trying to pull everyone else down to their level. However, as Christians, we all need to remember it's not about me. It's not about you, and it's not about any other individual other than God. We all need to be focused on pointing the way to him and his glory. Not being selfish, whiny children. Not acting like a bunch of babies. Uh, continuing on now, uh, verses 5 through 11. The Bible says, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I am so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, 
though you did not tend, uh, uh, excuse me, though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and so many animals? See, Jonah was very much caught up in the self-pity train. And he's still being ministered to by God. God's not angry. He's not yelling. He's not getting upset in any fashion. He's just calmly talking to Jonah. Reminds me of uh, my grandfather on my dad's side. Uh, you know, do something, and he didn't yell at you or scold you. He had this just gentle way of talking to you that made you feel like you're about one inch big, uh, just absolutely small, and you just start bawling like a baby. You know, and that's what God's doing here with Jonah. You see, Jonah was upset that the plant died. He was upset that the sailors at the beginning of this book were looking at death. But he had no compassion or concern for the Ninevites dying. And that was the point. See, we all get caught up in our anger, and it gets the best of us. It turns us to our worst really fast. It really does. And, and at some point, we've all been like Jonah and wished someone dead. You know, for something that they did to us or something that they did to someone we love or care about or, you know, even that, you know, uh, maybe it's just for a specific time of, uh, of crime or wrongdoing. Not necessarily something that was even committed against you, uh, but in general. Or, or even just wishing ill on someone. A great example is like when you get cut off in traffic and you say something along the lines of, you idiot, I hope you turn over and burn, you know, estupido uh, hombre, you know, or something like that. You know, uh, you know, here's the thing. God doesn't want harm to come to anyone. And that's why he warns us repeatedly at that, that that's what's going to happen. You know, or, you know, basically he's warning us what's going to come. If we don't change. And while we may want judgment and wrath to come upon certain others quickly, that's not God's heart. God has mercy and compassion well beyond our own comprehension. God created all of us. He wants all of us to turn from sin. To choose Him. And to live with him for eternity. It's our choice though. And when we choose to follow him, there's a change. We all change. Every one of us. And we change for the better. So you need to ask yourself, how do you feel about others and the wickedness they've done? Do you want them destroyed? Or would you rather they found Jesus? Would you rather they suffer? Or would you rather they confess their sins and seek forgiveness? Maybe even put yourself in, in, on the other side of the coin. What would you want for yourself for the wrongs you've done? Because we've all done things. Are you like Jonah and the Israelites? Or... Are you like the Ninevites?
It definitely uh, deserves some uh, some time, some meditation. See, God, He always has a way to teach us to obey and to follow Him. Ways to guide us, ways to correct us. He wants us to confess our sin and He wants us to repent. Now, repentance isn't just saying I'm sorry and having regret for something you've done. It's much deeper than that. It's also taking action to to make sure that this isn't going to happen again, that these actions stop. And let's face it, sometimes it's easier said than done, especially when it's something that's been instilled for you know within us over years or even a lifetime. Uh, Rear Admiral Grace Hopper once said, the most damaging phrase in language is we've always done it this way. We need to stop getting caught up in the legalism and the traditions of hate and discontent. Instead of meeting hate with hate, we need to look to Jesus and let him tell us and direct us on how to deal with these things. The only way for us to see change in the world and change for the better is to start putting into action with you know these things with God and let Jesus just guide the way. It starts in our hearts and then we take that into the world. Be the light that draws people to Jesus, not the fire of destruction that chases them away. Remember, we all need to look to Jesus and let him tell us and direct us on how to deal with things. So that when we put it to action, we can start seeing that change in the world because of God. Because it is to his glory, not our own. God bless y'all. Thank you for tuning in to Healing Scars with Pastor Burton. If you would like to know more about our ministry or how you can support us, you can find us on Facebook at Be The Light Sanctuary or you can go to our website at BeTheLightSanctuary.org. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll catch you next time. God bless.